Uh, yes, uh, so thanks for reading that, Caitlin, the Great Commission as we know it. Um, this, uh, we are kind of in the second week of three weeks when we're looking at our family traits, uh, what, what makes the church the church, what gives village its villageness, um, and, and really, uh, hopefully we saw last week, or I introduced last week, um, if you've been around our church for a while, you know that we are built on these three pillars of gospel, community, and mission. And, and our vision statement is this, it's on the screen. Village Church Belfast desires to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, love each other, and love our city as we join God in the renewal of all things. And really, uh, th this statement is shaped around the, the biblical truth that we are a community of people who are only a community of people because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. We who were once not a people have now been made a people through Jesus. We are a community because of him, and we are on mission because of him. These three things, or if you think of them like three strands of a rope, you ever see like a rope twisted around you can't separate them. Well, you can, but if you do, the rope starts to fray and come apart. Um, so we see this in our vision statement. We see a community of people who love Jesus. That's the gospel. A community of people who love each other. That's, that's a community. And a community of people who love our city. That's mission. And these three things work together like this. So we see it in the next slide, I think. Um, I've kind of made this triangle diagram that I hope is helpful. Um, we have the gospel as our basis and, and then community and mission together. And I'll explain this as we go through this week and next week, why we can't separate those things. But really what that is, is, is God at work in the world. God has always been at work in the world. Even before there was sin, God has created the world and created us to be a people for himself. And, and then after the fall, what happened after sin came into the world, God said, well, I'm going to reclaim my people because they are my people. And God is still at work, even through the church age, until Jesus comes again, making a people for himself. So we are merely joining in what God is doing in himself, joining God in the renewal of all things. And last week we looked at the gospel and we looked at why it's foundation. The gospel we saw was really simply, has many facets, but really simply, like what Paul says, that it's that, that Jesus uh, lived and died and rose again, according to the scriptures. That's the basis of the gospel. That's it at the very core of it. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at community and mission. And at first, I was going to do this week community and then next week mission. But, but actually, we really have to do these two things together. Because the reality is, and, and we're get, we'll get into more of this next week, is that we can't be the community of Christ if we aren't on mission for Christ. The community of Jesus is on mission for Jesus. The community is formed around the mission. I, I sometimes put it this way, that the church, is, the church has a mission because God has a mission. Or rather, what I often say is that the, the, church, uh, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has the church. The church is God's primary uh, vehicle, primary, uh, I said vehicle almost like an American, like didn't I? I don't know how I say vehicle anymore. God's primary uh, way, God's primary vehicle of, it, of spreading his kingdom across the world. And today, we're going to look at Jesus' most clear instructions on what he uh, wants his followers to do and be like. Now, um, it's not uncommon that when you go on a trip, you leave instructions for those that are staying at home, okay? I, I travel a fair bit, um, and I will sometimes leave instructions. Oh, Haley, remember that the blue bin goes out this night and so on. 
Or, or you might ask someone to, used to be, maybe not now, but in the olden days, I remember we'd go on holidays and our neighbors would have instructions from my mom to come in and open the windows and water the plants. And you might leave some instructions for someone to walk your dog. And the passage that, we just, that Caitlin just read for us, um, keep your Bibles open because we'll be going through this almost verse by verse, word by word, um, is these words are Jesus' final instructions to his disciples after his death and resurrection and before his ascension to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. So he's gathered his 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is no longer there. He, he's the one who betrayed Jesus and has since taken his own life. He's gathered 11 disciples at this particular hill in Galilee and to give them his parting words, words that we know now as the Great Commission. But before we get into these words, there's something that we need to recognize, that these words, these uh, commands, these instructions, this encouragement isn't just for a group of 11 disciples 2,000 years ago in Galilee. These words of Jesus are for all disciples of Jesus. And so if you are a Christian, these words are for you. So the Bible shows us as we read through the New Testament and church history shows us as we look back through the, the years that the Great Commission was initially given to the 11, yes, but, but those 11 disciples went into all the world and made disciples. And then those disciples made more disciples, and those disciples made more disciples, and so on, and so on, and so on. In fact, a key part of Jesus' um, uh, words to the disciples here is the instruction in verse 20 to teach the new disciples to observe, that means to obey, um, everything that Jesus commanded them. And what has he commanded them? He's commanded them to make disciples. And so it spreads like a chain reaction. You, you, can't, uh, you can't make disciples without teaching them to make disciples. So the Great Commission that began with 11 guys in Galilee has spread like a chain reaction across the globe and down through time and across history until it comes to us here in Belfast in 2022. These words, this is what I'm trying to say, these words are for us. The commission of Jesus is for all of us who call him Lord. And if we're following him, we can't ignore this question. Sometimes if somebody asks me to do something, not thinking of anyone in particular, of course, I will ignore it. <laughs> and I'll maybe even pretend I didn't hear. Um, or I'll choose to do my own thing. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, what we'll come back to in a second, we have to ask ourselves this question. What will we do with the call of Jesus? What will we do with the call of Jesus? And even as I ask this question, maybe that fills you with, um, with fear and dread. Maybe you're thinking, oh no, I know what's coming. This is going to be uh, get out and do things and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, a kind of guilt trip. Maybe you feel guilty because you haven't been taking these words of Jesus seriously. Maybe they're brand new to you and you've no idea what I'm talking about. Or maybe they've become so familiar to you after years in church that they don't have any force or any meaning anymore. Whatever your situation, here's what I believe. I believe these words are a source of motivation and joy and comfort. I believe these words bring us both clarity and comfort in equal measure. Clarity and comfort about what it means to, to be the church and, and followers of Christ. And so my prayer this week has been, my prayer today is that we would leave with clarity and comfort in equal measure. Clarity about what it means to follow Jesus and comfort for that journey. 
What will we do with the call of Jesus? I'm going to pause for a second and pray, and then we're going to get into these verses. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you that um, it comes to us across history by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in this room powerfully and illuminate these words. Bring the words of the living God into our hearts. May we respond with joy and obedience and worship. And we ask in Jesus' name, and help me too, Lord, to speak (laughs) with clarity and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Jesus' final, I'm going to move back because I feel like I'm on a wee squeaky bit on the floor and it's annoying me. Um, In Jesus' final words on earth, um, we've heard a lot about uh, final words this week. In Jesus' final words on earth, Jesus is handing over the keys of kingdom advancement, right? He's handing over the keys of his mission, if you like, to his followers, What Jesus began, he now imparts to us, his disciples. That's all of us who who call Jesus Lord, all of us who are Christians. The church, if you want to put it simply, the church has been given a task by her Savior, the task of making disciples. That's who we are. And as we look deeply into these words of Jesus, here's what we see. We see that our mission as the church is ever-expanding, and it centers around the authority, commands, and presence of Jesus. I'll read that again. Our commission, or our mission as the church is ever expanding and it centers around the authority, the commands, and the presence of Jesus. And the first part is the authority of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says with me in verse 18. And he said that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he says. He starts with all authority on heaven and earth, has been given to me. So what do we see here? We see that the authority of Jesus is the basis of our mission. The authority of Jesus is the basis of our mission. The first thing that Jesus does is he sends out his disciples, sends us out on mission to make disciples, is to remind us of his authority. He doesn't give us tactics. He doesn't give us strategies. He says, remember that all authority is given to me. Now, One of the most successful ever football coaches, yes, it's another football reference, bear with me, um, is Jose Mourinho. Like him or loathe him, that's a fact. And it's well known that when Jose Mourinho takes charge of a new team, the first thing that he does is gather his team together, and and his new team together, and he stands there and, and tells them of all his successes. I won this many Champions Leagues. I won, I got Man United to second in the Premier League one season. It was a miracle. Whatever it was, he says, I've done all these things. He doesn't start by giving them instructions on how to play better, improve their game, or he doesn't even start by saying, guys, let's do some team-building exercises. No. He starts by reminding them that he is worthy to lead them and instruct them on how to play the game. So it is with Jesus. I can't believe I'm comparing Jesus to Jose Mourinho, but here we are. Jesus starts with why he is the only one who is qualified to lead and instruct us. He's the only one who's qualified and worthy of sending us out. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. His authority is is based on more than winning a few football trophies. His authority is given to him by Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. His success is more than a proven track record in a sport. He has died for our sin. 
Jesus has triumphed over guilt and condemnation. He has been raised from the dead, proving that he is victorious over suffering and death. Think about this, the, the worst thing that can happen to a human being. We saw this this week with someone who sits far above the normal people. No one can escape death but except Jesus. Jesus has been victorious. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, tells us that it's because of Jesus' sacrificial suffering and his victorious resurrection that, here's what it says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's because of what Jesus has done. Uh, he, he became one of us and lived as one of us and died as one of us. That wasn't enough. He wasn't done. He defeated the worst thing that could ever happen to us. And the Father says, because of that, every knee is going to bow to you. All authority is given to you. And before we even try to think about how we set up our church, how we form our communities and what activities we're involved in, but before we even begin to think what it means to be missional and how we share the gospel, we need to recognize that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, right? This is our starting point. Why? Because that's Jesus' starting point. He doesn't just have some authority. He doesn't have a kind of authority. He doesn't just have earthly authority. This week, no doubt that you've been, like most of us, bombarded with images and, and, and maybe you've been seeking them out and that's great. And you've heard a lot said about the monarchy in Britain. There's, in fact, I was thinking about this this morning briefly. There's, there's probably not that many people in the world who haven't heard what has happened. Isn't that insane? Like that's very rare for a news story. And I've been struck just watching the, the kind of images on, on the news and so on just kind of the sense of awe and pomp and glory that is around the monarchy, right? The, the, the palaces, the crowns, the military, the ceremony. All these things designed to portray and, and reflect the importance and authority that the queen had and the new king has. And I'm not here to make a comment on the monarchy, but for all the glory and ceremony and everything else, it is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the authority of Christ. The queen, for all the status that she held in her life, she is now bowing before the king. I was on the, this is not on my notes. I was on the phone with my mom yesterday, and uh, she said, you know, just, and I hope this isn't offensive, but she said, you know, like, when we die and we're all in front of Jesus, we're all equal. <laughs> isn't that powerful? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. There is not one sphere of reality or realm of existence over which Jesus Christ does not have complete and ultimate authority. He has authority in heaven, he says. That's the spiritual realm, right? Which means that he has authority over all the angels, all the demons, all the good and all the evil spiritual realm. And he has authority on earth. That's the, the natural realm, the physical, over the galaxies and the stars and the black holes and the planets. He has authority over storms and oceans and mountains and rivers. He has authority over governments and kings and superpowers and armies and even tyrants. From the largest blue whale to the smallest bacteria in your belly to the very breath in your lungs which you just took, Jesus is in charge. And we need to remember that. None of us take another breath in this room unless Jesus says so. And so the question for all of us, even if you're not a Christian this morning, 
It's not whether Jesus is Lord, but whether we recognize him as Lord, right? You see, Jesus is not Lord because we call him Lord. We call him Lord because he is Lord. We recognize who he is. We don't make him who he is. And so as we consider who we are and what we should do as the church, we must first consider who he is and what he has done and what he's doing in the world. And if our efforts to be a community and a family are just based on us, we're going to fail. If, our, if, our, if we try to fuel mission by looking inwards, we're going to fail. We won't last. Jesus' authority is the basis of our mission because his authority means that his will will be accomplished. This is incredible. Um, one of the, sometimes, I, sometimes I think I'm going to quit, right? Just so you know that. I have those thoughts. And here's the thing that keeps me going as, as both a church planter and as a pastor. There's this prophecy in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. I can't remember if I put it on the slides. I did. Good for me. Well done, past me. Um, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled. Not just some of the earth. Not just, we hope this will happen. Not just, this is what I'm planning to happen. God says, it will happen. And if God says it, guess what? It's going to happen. So, we can dare to be a community that cares deeply about one, of, one another and is on mission, bringing the gospel to each other because we're not trying to start something new here, guys. We're not trying to get something off the ground. We're not even taking a risk, right? Stepping out on mission is not a risk because we're, we're simply joining God in what he is already doing and has in some ways already completed through Jesus, right? This isn't like trying to decide which horse to back in, in the derby, you know? We're not weighing up our options here and seeing which one gives us the best chance of success. In Jesus, the race is already won. And when we step out on mission together, we can be 100% sure that we've backed the right horse, that we are on the winning side because he's already won. This is why Jesus tells us to go and make disciples based on, the, uh, based on his authority. Notice the first two words in verse 19. Jesus, is, he says, go therefore. Go therefore. You see how this works? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am Lord of all. So what? Oh, I want you to form a nice little group to come and worship me. No. I want you to um, get together and, 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 and form a nice little community around that. No. I want you to go therefore because all authority it belongs to Jesus. You must go. We must go. We go on mission because of Jesus' authority. You see, what Jesus is commanding us to do is to continue the expansion of his kingdom and the reign that God established in him. This is God's eternal plan. I, I love this. The Bible is, is bookended by Genesis and Revelation, right? If you've been around church for a while, you'll hopefully recognize that and remember that. And Genesis gives us a glimpse into the big beginning, and we see God starting his work through establishing his kingdom through the creation of his people and placing them in his presence in the garden. And Revelation gives us a glimpse into the end of time, into the end of all things. And in Revelation, we see the completion of that work that he began as God's garden, city, temple covers the whole earth and people dwell in perfect union with him. 
in his presence. And so as we as the church, who did I say it to this morning? I can't remember. I said, we're, we're just one, this, see this? This is just one tiny, tiny part of something huge and eternal. So as, as we reach our friends and neighbors and families and colleagues with the gospel, or as we plant more churches, we're not doing something new. God's mission isn't something that we've invented. It's not a political movement. It's not a religious movement. It's not even a, philosoph- a philosophy. And the amazing thing is that because of the universal authority of Jesus, we go in confidence. We go sure in the confidence that the Lord is sovereign over all that we do. He is building his church and we are joining him in his mission. So we don't have anything to fear. So let me ask us again, what are we going to do with the call of Jesus? Now, look at verse 19 and the start of verse 20. Jesus says, Go therefore, based on his authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here's Jesus' commands for his followers, his commands for me and you. And here's what we see. We see see that his authority is the basis of our mission. Then the command, Jesus' commands instruct our mission. The commands of Jesus instruct our mission. And we're given two commands here, right? It's really one, but I've broken it into two sections to hopefully make it clearer for us. We are commanded to go, and we are commanded to make disciples, okay? And Jesus expands on how we make disciples, and that's by baptizing them and teaching them, okay? But look at the first one, go. Now, based on what we have just learned about the authority of Jesus, I just want to make it clear that we can't get around this. It's not like me deciding to do what someone has asked me to do or not. None of us are off the hook. And of course, we wish that the word go was just for the missionaries, right? We wish it was just for the Nathan and Emily's who move across the world to to plant churches. But the truth is that, that because of the authority of Jesus, all of us are called to go. We are all called to go. And, and I think as I've been reflecting on um, our church post-COVID pandemic and all of that, I think that the pandemic world trained us all to become a wee bit more insular, a wee bit more inward focus. Even in our church family, we, we did really well at looking after each other during that time, right? But it has become a wee bit easier in the post-COVID world to not go, hasn't it? It's become a wee bit easier just to prioritize myself prioritize our own families. But listen, church, the Christian faith is a missionary faith. I think it was John Piper that said we are both saved and sent. And something I say all the time is that if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. (laughs) There's no such thing as full-time missions and part-time missions. If you're a Christian, you're part of the church and you're a missionary. These three things go hand in hand, gospel, community, and mission. Church, we are called by our Lord and our Master to go. And that's why our mission is always multiplying, right? That's why our church is committed to planting more churches. That's why our missional communities grow and multiply, because we are called to grow. We want our church to grow, not from Christians coming from other churches, but by people being raised from death to life in Jesus. We want people who don't know Jesus to come into his kingdom. That's what we pray for. That's why we exist. Our mission as the church is ever expanding because the gospel of Jesus is for every person in the entire world. 
Now, that doesn't mean that all people everywhere will accept Jesus in this life. We know this. But what it does mean is that Jesus has the right to be worshipped by every single person who has ever lived or ever will live. Does that sink in? Jesus has the right to be worshipped by every single person. Some will reject him. Some will accept him. Think about this for a second. Why are you a Christian? Or maybe, how did you become a Christian? You are a Christian, if you are one this morning, because at some point in your life, somebody shared the gospel with you. That simple. Now, maybe for some of us, like with our kids, out in village kids, they're hearing it from an early age. And they grow up maybe thinking, I don't really remember the first time I heard the gospel. Please, Lord, let, let that be our kids. But, but for some of us, it's like maybe a friend in university or, or a stranger or, or one of your mates or whoever it might be shared the gospel. Either way, at one point, you didn't know your need for Jesus and then someone told you and you believed. This is how God has made it so that people will come to him through hearing the truth of the gospel. Romans 10 verse 14 tells us that how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let me make that a little bit more simple. People need to hear about Jesus in order to believe in him. And how are they going to hear about him if we don't tell them? Listen, I wish I was standing up here and I was saying to you, look at all my accomplishments. Look at all the people that I've told about Jesus. Look at all the people I've shared the gospel with. I'm not. But brothers and sisters, the, the, the non-believers are in, that are in your life are in your life so you can introduce them to Jesus. Whether that's the, the painfully awkward conversations you have with your family members or the, the daring to speak the gospel in your office or whatever it may be, the, the non-believers in your life are in your life so you can introduce them to Jesus. Remember when the, the COVID vaccines were being rolled out and there was a huge push by the government to go and get vaccinated. Um, I, I'm really not trying to make a statement in favor of or against COVID vaccines. I'm not going to go there. But my point is that if there is a medicine for a sickness, generally the right thing to do is to take it. If you have cancer, you're going to go get the treatment. When I broke my leg, I went to the hospital and got surgery and a plaster. If, if, if you have an infection, you take antibiotics. If you're sick, you take medicine. Well, listen, the world is sick with an illness far worse than any pandemic, and we have the medicine, right? We, we have the cure for the biggest killer in the history of the world because disease kills the body, the Bible tells us, but, but, but dying outside of Jesus, dying in sin, kills eternally, and the good news is that we have the cure. We have the privilege of carrying medicine to a dying world. So what are we going to do? Jesus is saying to us, I believe at this moment in our church, Jesus is saying to us, are you going to accept, are you going to take my call seriously? And for some of us, going will mean moving across the world. For some of you, hopefully, it will mean giving up a job and a career and deciding to plant a church. But for the vast majority of us, going isn't going to involve moving to a new country or even a new town. Most of us, going is simply taking the gospel with us when we go about our normal lives. That's 
when you go to the office and are among non-believers. It's taking Jesus with you when you go for a drink after work or grab a coffee with your friends. It's speaking the gospel when you hang out with your neighbors or pick your kids up from school. It's talking about, sorry, talking about Jesus with non-Christians and living lives consistent with his teaching should be the most normal thing in the world for us. Talking about Jesus and living the way of Jesus. That's what we're basically here for. And maybe this scares you. Maybe it makes you nervous and you, you think, I don't know what to say or I'm not confident enough. Or actually, that's not my personality type. I'm not, I'm not an outgoing person. It doesn't matter about your personality type. It doesn't matter how confident you feel. It doesn't matter whether or not you know what to say because as we'll see later on, Jesus is always with us and he gives us the words. And also, he has me. It's not like Jesus surprised. Oh, you're not outgoing. Oh, well, you, I can't ask you to speak for me. God made you. He made you the way you are. Some people can speak to a room full of people. Some people can speak to one person. Great. God made you. He knows you. He chooses to use you. And I've got four, to kind of slip into more practicalities for a second, four practical tips that I think can help make it simple. Number one, we need to pray. We need to talk to God about the people in our lives that we want to know Jesus. And I guarantee you that if you talk to God about these people, it will become much easier to talk to these people about God. <laughs> we need to pray. This is why prayer is part of everything we do. It's, why it's one of our core values. It's why every time we gather to pray, we pray for people to know Jesus. Number two, simply do ordinary things with gospel intentionality. This is long being what we've talked about in village. Everyday Christians doing everyday things with intentionality. It's, it's simply taking Jesus with you wherever you go. If you play a sport, go and play that sport with people that don't know Jesus and then be Jesus and talk about Jesus with them. Take every opportunity to put yourself among non-believers and do it with the intention of being Jesus and showing Jesus and speaking Jesus. There is something so powerful about ordinary Christians doing ordinary things with the intention of introducing people to Jesus. Number three, speak the gospel. This is vital. As we get to know people through our work or through our social lives or even through our families, we need to share the gospel. The Bible tells us that the faith comes by hearing. The gospel is a message. That's, we saw that last week. It's, at its very core, it is a message, and a message has to be delivered. I was with our MC leaders yesterday and I was talking about this. If I write a card to someone but don't give it to them, that's not a message. <laughs> a message is only, be, only becomes a message when it has been both given and received. The gospel has to be spoken. People need to hear if they're to believe. And don't be scared. Remember that you go with the authority of Christ. This is what he's already doing in the world. I recently heard a preacher say, I was at a conference back in April, and he said, um, bear in mind, he's speaking to a room full of pastors and stuff, and he's still telling us this simple stuff. And he says, speak and don't be scared. And if you're scared, speak anyway, which I thought was really good advice. And, he, and, and again, here's something else that I found. I've never once shared the gospel and someone's been angry with me or mad at me. At most, they're ambivalent and go, okay, cool, thanks. But no one's ever told me to, you know, forcefully go away or anything. If anything, we find that people are looking for something. 
People are hungry. People want meaning, especially in turbulent times like this. People are, people are looking for meaning. They're looking for a savior. They're looking for salvation. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for something concrete. So we speak the gospel. The fourth one then, this is key. Invite people into your community. I'm totally convinced that there's no more powerful uh, evidence or apologetic or explainer for the gospel of Jesus than the community of Jesus. There is something. We are designed to be in community, and we're going to talk about this more next week. We're designed to be in community, not just so we can have a support group, but so people through that community can see Jesus. When people experience the love that Christians have for one another, they are actually experiencing the love of Jesus. a miracle. Um, we have examples in our church of people who weren't Christians and then were introduced to our community and then found Jesus. It's powerful and it works. And I'm, I'm realizing that time is running on. So listen, I just want to encourage us that it really does work. God really does change people. We sometimes forget, we think of, well, that, he's, far too, he's too far gone. He's too old. He's too set in his ways. Or there's no way they would ever believe this. God really does respond in grace when we step out in obedience. It's him that does the work, not us. We're just called to be witnesses. We're just called to, to speak, and it's him that does the rest. Notice that he says also, he doesn't say, you know, go and make non-Christian friends or go and, he doesn't even say go and make converts. What does he say? He says, go and make disciples. This is, our chief calling in life is to, to make disciples, lifelong followers of Jesus. It's more than just getting someone to make a profession of faith or, or say a sinner's prayer or any of those things or even inviting them to church. You see, a disciple is a lifelong follower learner. Someone who follows and learns from their master. And that's the life we're called to, right? We're called to call others to Jesus who will then call others to Jesus. And Jesus says, it involves two things. Firstly, it involves baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it involves teaching them to obey his commands. You see how this is a community endeavor? We can't separate community and mission because the best place for baptism and teaching is the church, the local church. So we don't just lead someone to Jesus and leave them to it. No, we disciple them. We bring them into the church. They show, we show them with our own lives what it means to follow Jesus. And this isn't just for the pastors or the women's worker or the missional community leaders. It's for all disciples of Jesus. I guarantee you, if you're a Christian, you have people in your life who are watching you, observing what it means to follow Jesus. If, we, if you're a Christian, there are people who are looking at you to see what it means. And, and they may be Christians already. They may be not Christians. And so none of us are exempt from this call to make disciples. None of us are exempt from the, the call to go. None of us are exempt from the call to make disciples. All disciples of Jesus are called by Jesus to make others what they are in Jesus. In other words, all disciples are disciple makers. All of us are disciple makers. Trying to be a disciple of Jesus and not making disciples is like trying to be a fish without swimming. It just doesn't work. You can't do it. Fish, by necessity of what they are, have to swim. Disciples of Jesus, by necessity of what they are, have to be disciple makers. 
And there's all kinds of ways that God in his goodness lets us do this. It may be with our kids. You're making disciples of your kids. I think that's one, if you're, if you're married and have kids, that's one of the main ways that God calls us to fulfill this command. It's a, it's a privilege. It may be with your friends or your colleagues or whatever it may be. But disciples of Jesus, by necessity of what they are, are disciple makers. This ever-expanded mission of God is centered around the authority of Jesus and the commands of Jesus. And if we say we love Jesus, then we have to obey his commands. That's what John 14, or yes, John 14, Jesus says in, in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So if we aren't obeying the commands of Jesus about making disciples, what does that say about our love for him? One more word about this briefly. I want to mention this because I think it's pertinent for our context about uh, this command of Jesus to make disciples. If you, if you look at verse 19 again closely, he says, go there for, therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Now, the word that Jesus used here for nations is actually the word for Gentiles in the original language. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all Gentiles. Now, the significance of Jesus commanding a group of Jewish guys to go to all Gentiles should not be wasted on us. Because this assumes, Jesus assumes, Jesus is commanding them that they will cross cultural and social and religious and racial boundaries in the fulfillment of this command. To put it simply, fulfilling the great commission of Jesus will mean that we go to people who are not like us. If we are to obey Jesus, we need to realize that every single people group, ethnicity and nationality in the world owes Jesus Christ their worship. This is a call on us to go to all people, regardless of who they are, regardless of their gender identity, their sexual identity, their, what God they worship, the color of their skin. This is Jesus' vision for his mission, to welcome all into the kingdom. And in Revelation 7, verse 9, right, we get a glimpse of the fulfillment of this mission. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read these two verses. After this, I looked. John the Apostle looks, he's, he's been given this vision by God. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See what's happening here? Revelation 7, verse 9, shows that the Great Commission will be completed, it will be fulfilled. People from all nations. And the thing is, and why I think this is pertinent to our context is that we now live in a multicultural Belfast. This wasn't, this wasn't the case even, you know, two decades ago. And regardless of your views on immigration or whatever, we have to accept that living in a multicultural, a multiracial society gives us huge missional and gospel opportunities. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation so let's ask ourselves again, what are we going to do with this call of Jesus? Are we going to go? Are we going to make disciples? And the final thing that we see is uh, in verse 20, and we see that the presence of Jesus comforts us on mission. The presence of Jesus comforts us on mission. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an amazing claim, Right? Given what's about to happen, <laughs> Jesus is saying these words as he's about to leave. He's about to 
leave them and ascend to heaven, but he's saying, I will always be with you. Now, when I go on a trip, I can't say to my kids, daddy's going away for a week, but don't worry, I'll be with you. I can't say that. The best I can offer is that I'll FaceTime them before bed every night. But Jesus has promised to be with us until the very end of the world. That's what this means. The end of the age is, is until he comes again. The end of this age that we're in right now. Jesus is with us and he will be with us to the end of the world. Isn't that class? Brothers and sisters, this is our comfort that we are never alone. As in we follow him and make disciples, we're not doing it on our own. Matthew's gospel begins with this amazing news that the, the, with the birth of Jesus. And that means that God is with us. The virgin, will the virgin shall bear a son and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew's gospel finishes with these words, behold, I am with you always. I love this. I, I, I don't know if I can convey how comforting this is, that, that, that Jesus is with us and we are never alone. He, he both holds us in his hand and walks among us. And remember the context of this promise. This is along with the call to recognize the authority of Jesus and step out on mission. So that means that the call to a missional life, the call to be a people gathered around his authority and his mission is an invitation to embrace the promise that he will never leave us. To be a community of people on mission for Jesus together is just simply walking in the promise that Jesus is with us. So we see that, that this Calling, which feels in some ways weighty and heavy, is actually just an invitation to embrace the fact that Jesus will never leave us. In other words, to be the community of Jesus on mission is to be a community gathered around and based upon the promise of Christ's presence. To be the community of Jesus on mission is to be a community gathered around and based upon Christ's the promise of Christ's presence. We, the church, are the church because Jesus is with us. He's as much in this room as you and I. Remember Jose Mourinho? Go back to him again. I wonder if he's ever been mentioned as much in a sermon before. I'm not sure. All he can do is train his team. Throughout the week, train your team, set up this way, play this way, play this ball. We're going to work on this maneuver, this set piece, and so on. When, when the whistle blows and the match starts, it's up to the players to carry out the game plan, right? The coach has to stay on the sidelines, but not so with Jesus. He doesn't stand on the sideline. He is in the game with us. In actual fact, he's already won the game that we're playing in. You see, even though Jesus is no longer physically with us, he has given us the Holy Spirit, which he says is far better because now he's not just with, well, I've got to visit village this Sunday and then I've got to go to England and visit another church. Then I'm in South America next Sunday. No. With his Holy Spirit present with us, he is fully with us all the time, each of us, whether we're together or whether we're scattered. And if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. We, the people, are the home of the Holy Spirit. And guys, this isn't just some abstract theology. This is real. fully present with us. And not only that, he, he, he lives in us and he works through us. In times of trouble, in times of rejoicing, 
in times of getting punched in the gut. He hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. He's placing each of us exactly where we need to be for our good and his glory. See, for Jesus, those two things aren't separate. It's not like he's going to glorify himself at any cost for his people. Our good and his glory are the same thing. So wherever you are this morning, whatever you're going through, you're there for your own good and for his glory. I don't know what trouble you have going on in your life at the minute. I don't know all the ups and downs that you go through on a daily basis. I know some of you more than others. But here's what I do know. If you are in Jesus, you are not alone. And maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe we all just need to take a second and reflect on this. You are not alone. As you walk through the valley of depression, Jesus is with you. As you're crippled by anxiety, what? Jesus is with you. As you carry the burden of an illness, Jesus is with you. As you grieve the loss of a loved one, Jesus is with you. As you lie awake at night worrying about money, Jesus is with you. And as you open up your mouth with trepidation and dare to speak the gospel to your friend, thinking, I'm going to mess this up, I'm not even sure if I can, Jesus is with you. Brothers and sisters, you are not God forsaken. God will never abandon you. So I, I'm just praying right now that we can receive the comfort that, that God is offering to us. That as, even as we go back into the world tomorrow, go to work, uh, whatever it is, doing whatever it is you do, that you don't go alone. And no matter how weak or inexperienced or sinful or unequipped we think we are, we're not alone. Jesus is with you and he's going to be with you until the end of the world. And here's my final thought. And I'm sorry that I've gone on so long this morning. We, we go to others because God came to us, right? That's the gospel. God the Father sent his son to come to earth to live as one of us, die as one of us, and pay the penalty of our sin to make us right with God. And not only that, he rose from the dead as one of us so that we could share in his victory over death. And he ascended to, the, to heaven as one of us where he now reigns and in doing so guaranteed that where he is, we will one day also be. That's the gospel. We go because Jesus came. We go because of the gospel. The gospel is both our motivation and our comfort. And so before I just pray, I want us just to take a second, a few seconds, uh, we minute, just to consider this call of Jesus, right? Maybe you want to close your eyes. And just in the quietness of your own heart, maybe just hear Jesus calling you again. See, Jesus isn't just saying, come and do X, Y, and Z for me. Come and do, do, do. Jesus is saying, come and embrace the promise that I am always with you. I'm never going to leave you. Just for the next few seconds, just hear Jesus calling you to himself and calling you to go and make disciples, calling you into the promise that he will never leave you. And be reminded of the comfort of his presence in your life. And, and let's together consider this question. What are we going to do with the call of Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit.
Lord Jesus, so what else can we do? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's your call and your promise to us today. Father, thank you that you haven't left us alone, that you haven't left us to do this on our own. Thank you that, that this, this call to, to go and make disciples is actually a call to embrace the, your presence. Father, I pray for all of us because I, I, I feel it particularly this morning, the weakness and the tiredness and the neediness. Father, we, we know there's people in our family members who don't know Jesus family members who are not well family, all these different things Lord it feels like the world is heavy but, but, but your burden is light and your yoke is easy because to bring your gospel to these people is actually to embrace the promise that you're always with us Lord Jesus I pray we'd realize this that we'd be motivated to move out in mission that we'd be motivated to, to walk in your presence every day we love you, Lord. Thank you for the meal that we're about to receive, the reminder that you're always with us, the proof that you're always with us is that you died for us. You paid the ultimate price so that you, would ne that you could never leave us or forsake us. Father, uh, as we come to your table now, those of us who are following you and trusting you, would you meet us again in a new and a fresh way? Work something new in us, Lord. I do, I do feel we're in this new season of our church we want to not go anywhere that you're not leading us, Father. So we pray as we come to your table again that you would remind us of your gospel.